Previously on X-rated movies. Should we take a break? I guess. <laughs> I just whew, been talking about pornography a thriller. Maybe we should get someone else on here to do some heavy lifting for a while because I'm going horse here. <laughs> and now, part two of pornography a thriller. Oh my god, Matt. Yeah, Ryan, what's up? We, we got a, a random Skype call on that break <laughs> from the director of this movie. What? I know. Can you believe it? That's so crazy because this is not a live show. <laughs> I thought I was calling, uh, you know, Dr. Phil or something else. <laughs> like, like, I guarantee you our advice will be just as good. <laughs> <laughs> I have problems. I wanted to talk to Dan Savage. Can you please like get him on the line? He's only that a few actually, blocks that way. I was going to say, could... that wouldn't actually be too hard. <laughs> if we knock on enough doors, we can probably find them. Yeah. You guys are in the same city, right? That's, that's fantastic. True. We're like in the same zip code. <laughs> oh, that's like, amazing. Like the strangers printed just a couple blocks from here. Yeah. So. Like, I often wonder, like when it was coming out and playing the festival circuit, I actually wondered like, would Dan Savage see this and would he like it? Because like with this movie, as, I mean, as, as I'm sure you've seen, it's really a kind of love it or hate it kind of movie. And believe me, I got a lot of both. <laughs> it, well, it's not a musical, so I'm going to guess that he didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not actual pornography, so I don't know. Those are the only things that he likes. <laughs> well, but I do, I, I do say there are some, a couple of salient points about pornography, I, I, I hope. I yeah, think. I'm going to say this is David Kitteridge. I hope oh, yeah. I'm pronouncing your name right. We didn't actually formally introduce you. You are the director yeah. of Pornography, also a writer. Thriller, yeah. and writer. Yeah. I was, and co-editor if you really want to be technical, but that's, right. that's fine. Well, thank you so much for coming on our silly little show. <laughs> yeah, like this is actually like a big deal. So I want to preface this by saying when I watched this movie initially about a month, month and a half ago, I was telling Ryan that I had watched two gay movies over the weekend. One was terrible, and that was Altitude Falling. And then I was like, I watched one that actually turned out to be pretty good, despite the fact that I thought it was going to be trash, because it was called <laughs> Pornography, a Thriller. And I rented it, I was like, how could this possibly be good in the basket? Like, I rented it on the... Uh, assumption that it was going to be garbage and just filled with like hot guys and no plot and I could watch it while doing something else but then I watched it and I was like you know what this is actually kind of like sucking me in and it's a little engrossing and I feel a little emotionally invested in these characters. <laughs> oh thank you I appreciate that and ironically that's what people like when I was like dating around before I was boyfriended used to think of me on the apps they were like they 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 met up with me thinking it would be trash and garbage and then like you know some were pleasantly surprised not all not all of them but you was know, it a, a deal breaker for some well, that, 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 that it was trash or that i made a movie called pornography either yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i think it was a selling point to some but oh, you know. okay there you go so i have a question for you was it always called pornography a thriller no it was called pornography, and that's how I ran around the festival circuit. I mean, it kind of comes from where 
where it came from. I mean, the whole origin story of this, it'll, I mean, I can go into that. It plays into that. But basically, my distributor, well, there was a lot of interest in it because it was, it, it played at the big four gay film festivals. I think it was four of them. Um, it premiered at Newfest in New York, and then it played at Frameline, and then it played at Outfest, and then it played in Philadelphia. And at the time, because I think Newfest is something different now, and I don't know what the deal is with Phil, uh, Philadelphia anymore, but that was like the four gigantic gay film festivals that were like, Really, and, and Seattle kind of came later, I think, in September, October. And then a lot of the regional festivals are like in the fall. So once it got booked at all four of those festivals, all of the gay distributors, of which there were only like, you know, three or four, were really interested. And especially with that title, which they thought was, really, you know, button pushy. They did not know how ironically the title was used a little bit. But, you know, it's like they were like, oh, it's called pornography. We can sell that. Um, and there was a little bit of a bidding war. It wasn't, I mean, this is independent film, so we're not talking about like, you know, millions of dollars or even hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're talking about like, you know, you know, two Frappuccinos or one Frappuccino really at the <laughs> Starbucks. But, you know, but there was a, a minor little bidding war and it was really nice. And the good people at Wolf Video, um, who were wonderful, uh, won out. They made the best deal. And I just liked them. I like working with them. And, but they were like, we can't, uh, uh, who wasn't going to carry it? Walmart. It, it, this is how long ago. It might, I, I think it was Walmart, actually. I wanted to say Blockbuster, <laughs> but I think this was actually post-Blockbuster. Yeah, they weren't going to carry it. And so I was like, call it Pornography a Thriller, which actually was in my mind a title that I was kind of toying with before I did it. But when I did it, I was just like, no, I want it to just be called Pornography. I want to go to these festivals and look in their little, like, books and just have the word pornography and like a still and like a, a description of like, and anyone who reads the description will know what they're going into. But people who don't, which were a surprising number of festival goers who did not, who thought it was kind of like eating out or something like that, or one of these like, like funny gay movies. Well, shortly after like telling Ryan that like, I really liked this movie actually, you followed us on Twitter, I swear to God, like yeah. five or six days later. That's so random. That was weird. I don't know why. I don't know how you guys popped up, but I was just like, oh, that looks interesting. And I just followed you on Twitter. And then you guys messaged me like, are you psychic? I'm like, <laughs> I don't I don't think so. But, like, but the fact that you actually put my name together, because I don't think pornography thriller is even in my, my info anymore, is it? It used to be. It used to be like director, pornography, a thriller. But I'm just like, okay, the movie's like 10 years old now. I've done a lot of other stuff. So it's like, I, I haven't done another feature, but it's like I've, I've been working pretty steadily since then. So I'm kind of like, oh, you know, I'll just put up whatever. I think I put, well, I, think I put up like a, my Myers-Briggs thing and the oh. fact that I'm in Aries and all this stuff. It's just like whatever. Twitter's, <laughs> Twitter's whatever. But I enjoy, I enjoy it. Yeah, I don't know why I, I followed you guys, but it was like that was so funny. Yeah, it, it was crazy, and I and I recognized your name because I looked up to see if you had made any other features because I wanted to watch them. Oh, God bless you. I'm going to put <laughs> you on the line with some investors, <laughs> and as long as I can convince them that actually there are 100,000 of you, <laughs> I think we'll be fine. This is a movie that's, like, made for us. This, yeah. <laughs> like, this is exactly the type of movie that, like, we just want to, like, bathe in. You're making my year right now, believe <laughs> me. It's like, like, because, you know, you know, let me just tell you something about filmmaking. You don't really get this kind of, like, feedback outside of, like, festivals or little clumps of, like, because one of the things that I did, like, because I had made two shorts, and this is kind of how pornography came about. I had made two shorts. One was called Fairy Tale, and that was... That started the festival run in 1998, and then the second, and that was a very earnest 30-minute short about like 
a gay couple that were like 24 and had been together a year, but they were coming home to meet the parents for the first time. And it's like drama, 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 coming out, coming out stuff. But, you know, and it, and it got onto this uh, DVD called Boys Briefs that yeah. this company that is now not no longer with us, Picture This, released. And I was very proud of it. Um, and it played like, I don't know, 24 festivals, uh, like all over the place. I went to Berlin for the first time. It was really nice. It, not the, wow. that, that, it was the Gay and Lesbian Festival there. It wasn't the, the, the Berlin Film Festival. But it kept losing like the awards like like I, I don't really care that much but it was like it just after a while it got on my nerves what it would do is it would like it would be nominated for these awards and it would lose them to these like five minute comedies with like a punchline like yeah. that were like shot in like two days and i'm like i like you know and i was like a kid i was like 20 24 25 and i was like I just killed myself to make this movie and I put it on credit cards and it's a short film. It was on 16 millimeter and it cost like 30 grand. And it's like, and I'm like making, I'm like in New York, I'm making my money as like a, like a, a, a freelance temp, uh-huh. uh, just getting by. And I'm like, and these, these, the movies losing all this stuff to these like stupid little <laughs> comedies. Like some of them are good, but it's like, they took very little effort compared to what I did. I was like, that's it. My second short, I'm going to make a comedy. So I did. And it was called Target Audience. That played like 88 festivals or something like that, or like almost 90. And it won a bunch of awards. And it's a cute little thing. And it has a really good punchline at the end because I'm like, I'm going to make it have a good ending. Because <laughs> that's the thing about that's the thing about short films. It's like they don't tell you. It's like you always need to have a good ending. That's most A lot of short films don't. You know, a short film is like telling a really good joke. And like you have to just – you have to set up. And like it's like a tiny mini three-act thing. And so th- – you know, basically, I got caught up in work. I edited a horror film for a friend of mine, a little gay horror movie. Um, I did a bunch of other stuff. I, I work a lot in marketing and, and like I, in production and, and post-production. I, I, most of my money these days is just from editing. And finally, when I had been to so many gay festivals and I had seen so many movies and I so wanted to like be in this population of filmmakers and people. Because there's always this thing when you like walk around the festivals and they all have the lanyards on and they're all walking around and they're all like, I'm like, oh God, I want to make, like, I want to make movies, but it's like, I just want to be with people that get me. Mm. Cause like when you're an artist, like when you're a weird gay kid and you like movies like by like Brian De Palma and like, and it's just like, yeah. and everyone else is like going to see gremlins and you, you like desperately want to see body double. And it's like. You just name drop one of my favorites, by the way. So. Oh, body double! Oh, you should, I, love I it. should. I should. We're on Skype. I should pan around the apartment, but there's my blowout poster right there. Oh, oh blowout's great! Me. Yeah, love blowout. And, and in the in the other room, Lost Highway and Dressed to Kill, and over there is My <sighs> Private Idaho, and then a deep cut Looker is in the hallway. Anyway, um, if you ever saw that, that's an amazing movie. I don't Looker, know that one. Is that it's a based on the Michael Crichton novel? Well, he wrote and directed it. He didn't ever made a. It was never a novel. It's oh, just he, a strange. Oh, oh, okay. I, yeah, yeah, I know which one you're talking about, though. Yeah, it's amazing and cheesy and fantastic, and I can't recommend it higher. It's Albert Finney, and this has nothing right, to do yeah. with my movie. Albert <laughs> Finney, Susan Day, Lee, Lee Taylor Young, and James Coburn as the bad guy, and they have this dude who's the mustache man, who's the brother <laughs> of Rick Rossovich. It's Tim Rossovich, and basically, he's. It's oh fuck! I'm not even gonna go into it. But if you're listening to this. <laughs> You really need to do your... If you're into weird movies, it's not even that weird. It's just really cheesy and fun and amazing, and it has an ending you will never forget. Like, the last 10 minutes of this movie, you will never forget it because it's simultaneously suspenseful and ridiculous all at the same time. It's it's perfect. Yeah. Um, Looker. 
Yeah, right. it's on now, Blu-ray. It's fantastic. Yeah, I love Michael Crichton. So yeah, no, I, uh, I've seen that one before. It's a it's a solid one. Okay. I like that. Right. And actually, now that you mention it, I can I kind of see Looker's influence on pornography. Oh, the pornography had a lot of influences, and I, I was ta- I was saddled with a lot of the reviews. Like everyone's like, "Oh, it's David Lynch, David Lynch, David Lynch." I'm just like, "Well, yeah, sort of," but it's I, like they were always saying Lost Highway. It's uh, excuse me, Mulholland Drive, and it was like I took way more from Lost Highway than Mulholland Drive, mm-hmm. and I took way more from Cronenberg and De Palma than from David Lynch. So oh. it's kind of like you know, yeah, it's like a panoply of film nerd stuff in this movie um you can you know i could just go down the movie like for for two hours and talk about all the influence i probably did on the dvd i there's a commentary track i don't even remember what i said to be honest it's so funny it's it's like you've listened to the episode that we just recorded yeah. <laughs> because you're bringing up all these points that we've talked about yeah uh, I, should I prove somebody right or wrong or they're like deep dying I, well hold on i just want to finish that because i got diverged by looker which is amazing so pornography came about i was right okay so i was writing a comedy because i was just like i have a little money i have people that want to help me i don't need investors i can do this for under 100 grand and kind of like keep it like go on credit i have a little cash and 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 basically it was those times when if you made a sale on dvd you could almost certainly make back 100 grand Hmm. you know you you could do it it's it was it was it was as long as you did that, you could do it. And Logo was buying movies uh, to show at the time, oh, too. Yeah. So I was writing this comedy, and I hated every fucking minute of it. Wait, can you swear on this podcast? I don't even Absolutely. Even oh. I was writing a bad fucking gay comedy because I knew that it would get sold. Like, if I did it, and I was like, okay, and if it's funny enough, and I had, like, all the people in DGA1 over at Outfest laughing, I could make a sale and make back my money, and I would have had, I would have made a feature and not lost my shirt, and it would have been, and maybe I could do something else after that and kind of prove to investors that I was worthy and whatever. And after weeks of, weeks, a few weeks of trying, uh, my then uh, partner, uh, Rob and my best friend Melissa, who was, lives in New York but was visiting, we were out to dinner and over two bottles of wine between the three of us, I was bemoaning that I just couldn't make this work and maybe I shouldn't be a filmmaker, even though this is all I ever wanted to do and, and I'm obsessed with it. And basically, Melissa and Rob were like, what do you really want to make? And I was shocked that I knew. I, I actually knew the answer. I was like, well, I can tell you, but you're going to think I'm fucking nuts. And they're like, what? I'm like, well, it's a movie that's in three parts. It has three different protagonists. Some might be a dream. Two of the protagonists might be the same person. And it's called pornography. <laughs> and both of them flipped out and were like, what? You have to do this. I'm like, I will never have a career if I do this movie. <laughs> like, I am going to make a movie called pornography. And plus, it could not be done for 100 grand. There's no way. It would have to be like almost twice that at least. You know, so... The deal they made with me was this. Like, I was not allowed to bitch until I wrote at least one draft of this crazy movie. And the moment I did that, I was toast. Because the moment I did that, I was invested. And I really, really, really wanted to do it. And the, the more I got into And I wrote the first draft in four days. It was really fast. Because it just poured out of me. You were like Matt Stevens, like, on the typewriter. He's like, this yes, writes itself. I was, I was kind of like Matt Stevens. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, it, and it's funny because, like, you know, a, a couple of the reviews when it came out were just like, 
you know, the negative reviews were just like, David Kitchens says he wrote this in four days and it shows. I'm like, <laughs> motherfucker, I wrote the first draft in four days. The other 19 drafts took a lot longer. Whoa. So fuck you. Like, there's, oh, there's, oh God, some of those fucking reviews. It's like, you know, I don't, like, again, I'm very proud of this movie. So like people can hate it or love it. And certainly a lot do both. But it's, it's very funny to have a movie that it, like, on one hand, some douchebag gay pseudo critic calls one of the worst movies of the year. On the other hand, it gets into New York Magazine as a critic's pick. It was like whiplash, like yeah. reading these reviews. Like, you know, it was literally like almost nobody was on one side or the other. And then when it came out on DVD, like the, 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 the same publications that reviewed it in the festival run reviewed it again on DVD with different reviewers and they would literally be like negative to positive. Like when it came out on DVD, it got all these positive reviews. When it was in the festivals, it got all these negative reviews. I'm like, this is the same fucking publication. <laughs> they just use different people. And I'm like, what the fuck? Why can't we get that guy to do it initially, like for the festivals and stuff? Well, it does benefit from repeat viewings because I watched it initially, you know, a month and a half ago or so. And then I watched it again last night and I got a lot more out of it the second time around. Yeah, it, it's designed that way. That's my favorite kind of movie. My favorite kind of movie is the movies that don't actually completely hit you until you see it again. Like the ones that are that layered and textured. I mean, I could bore you, but we went through, I, we, the royal we, me and, and the team went through an enormous amount of trouble making sure there were so many little things and so many details that were exactly right. Like it's not, I mean, even in the script, it's not a mistake that the same character who plays the real estate agent in part two plays a therapist in part three because they serve the same function. All of those ca cast members that are one thing in one part and the other thing in another part play a similar function. These, like there's, a, there's a, a character who gives an envelope in part two and another one who gives the same actor gives an envelope in part three and both are very important envelopes. You know, it goes on and on. I mean, so, but basically getting back to it, the impetus for all of this was, it, it was partially because I wanted to do a movie that I wanted to see. Like I have never seen this movie. Like yeah. I've seen a lot of movies. I've seen a lot of game movies and I was really, and part of it was out of anger because I was really sick of bad gay movies. And I had seen an awful lot of them. There are and so like, many. <laughs> yeah, like and, we've been mining that mountain and this is like the nugget of gold that we dug out. This well, is why we, we go through that uh, horrible uh, mountain of gay movies because once in a while you find something that's really good. There, there are a few, I mean, you know, and more, and more, more so these days. Um, especially foreign ones. I mean, I've seen some great stuff in the last five or six years. Mm -hmm. mm, and I agreed. think it's because it's, it's a little bit easier to do it cheaply and it's a little bit easier to distribute than it was like 10 years ago. So I have a question for you. You said in an interview, I, and like, I think it was Philadelphia or something film festival that this movie was made for under $200,000. Is that, is that it right? It was. That's absolutely true. That's crazy. It looks so <laughs> much more expensive than that. It, yeah, it really does. But, and it's also, you took the time to do things like, you know, oneers where it's like, there's a tracking shot mm -hmm. through like the, the, uh, behind the scenes of like a porn studio. The fact that like you had this small of a budget, but you took the time to do something like that. And like, how does that know, work? Is that just a matter of planning and knowing what you wanted to see and like making sure were you, yeah. did you have to do, be a taskmaster? Do you storyboard this no, out or? <laughs> uh, I storyboard some of it out. Um, it, I wasn't really a taskmaster, but I was obsessed. 
And I was very kind of, and we shot it in 16 days. I mean, literally, like, if it gives you any idea, everything shot in my, um, Matthew's apartment, uh, Matt Montgomery's apartment, what's his name? Michael. Michael's apartment uh, was shot in three days. Everything in that apartment was done in three days. So all the snuff a, videos, all the uh... the snuff the snuff video. Well, there was a lot. There were a lot of inserts, like oh, okay. like uh, like basically because I I'm I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge like movie nerd, cinema nerd, but I'm also a huge technical nerd and digital video nerd. Um, and it comes from post production. I'm a post production nerd as well, like workflow and. And like you talked about the tracking shot, there are lots of hidden zooms in that tracking shot. You just can't tell because it's really subtle. So like we're on Matt Stevens, like walking down and it pans to the right. There's a very subtle zoom in. You can't tell because it's on a motion, but it frames what we're shooting really, really well. And then it comes back out when it goes this way. And it's like tricks like that that make it look a lot more expensive and also just moving the camera a lot. Like you don't see that in independent films. Like, you know, I wanted to make sure like, Almost all this, not almost all, like, like about half of the movie was shot on a jib arm on a tripod. Like I was very, very like adamant that each one of the three sections has a different look, a different color palette, a different feel, and also a different way it was shot. So the first part was very dark. It was very contrasty. It was very blue, a lot of cool colors, and there was not a lot of camera motion. It was very film noir. I wanted it to be really cinematically kind of old school film noir. The middle portion was much more kind of like neutral. And there were greens in it and it was a little more color and a little more saturated. And the last part was wide angle, a lot of handheld and a lot of red and hot colors. So it was all about these three different worlds. And, you know, it, it was, it, you know, this, this movie, like a lot of my favorite movies is kind of the product of obsession. This movie was kind of an obsession and like it was also kind of a dare. Like, can we do something like this, this ambitious and this crazy in 16 days for under two hundred thousand dollars? Yeah. And 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 there was other stuff that I wanted to show. I mean, you know, if you look at the DVD, I think that's uh, you can rent it online, like on iTunes or Amazon. Uh, But if you see the DVD, there are like literally like 20 minutes of deleted scenes, like stuff that I, you know, but it. This is already a two-hour movie, so it's just kind of like, no, we need to. We talk about this nasty. a lot. If if, uh, if your debut feature is more than ninety minutes, you know, like you got you, you got to earn those, those extra oh, yeah. minutes, whatever it is. I and... agree. I agree. The first the 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 assembly cut of this movie, the first cut of this movie was one hundred and fifty minutes, and I have never been closer to jumping out a window in my life <laughs> because I was like. I was like, this movie cannot be, and and there were even scenes in that that I was like, okay, I really want to shoot this scene, so maybe we can bring everybody back for one day. And I'm like, after 150 oh, minutes, I'm like, oh no, we're not <laughs> shooting a goddamn thing. No, yeah. we have to get this down to some reasonable length. And for yeah. a while, I thought it was going to be over two hours, and I was just like, it cannot be over two hours, no matter what. It cannot be over two hours. You got those editor's and, uh, instincts. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, actually, yeah. I was like, and and we cut. Like, like I, I worked with an editor uh, because you just cannot, I don't care who you are. You can't like, especially if you're obsessed with it, you can't, you have no perspective. You need somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I really needed somebody else. So I was mostly about, um, the other editor did the big things and the big chunks and, and gave me a lot of really great perspective. He was fantastic. 
And I did a lot of the frame fucking, which is a technical term we use, like, you know, when you're cutting commercials in short form, like I often do, it's like literally getting it exactly like, like cutting two frames off of this and cutting three oh. frames off of that and letting this breathe for like two frames. Like it's, it, it's, you know, obsession again. I mean, it took, it took, how long did it take in post-production? I mean, it was, we shot it in 2008. It was like uh, February, March of 2008. And it premiered in June of 2009 at Newfest. Okay. And a lot of that had to do with music because we were clearing music. We had to like, and I went through, we had no budget. So I had to find a bunch of independent music people and, and I had to find. Well done on that, on that front. Yeah. The soundtrack is superb in this movie. Yeah. So, well, we got a great, com- also the score. I love the score. This guy scored a number of bigger movies like, like uh, Midnight uh, Meat Train. Ga- I saw. Oh, I, w- yeah. another, I've seen Midnight Meat Train. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Rob yeah, Williamson, I believe his Rob name Rob Williamson, is. he was fantastic. Oh my God. And literally, what I, how do we, you know how we found him? It was funny. On Craigslist, like my producer was just like going, like I was asking other composers, I was asking other filmmakers. He was just like, I'm just going to put up a Craigslist ad. I'm like, we're going to get every <laughs> bad composer in the universe. If you want to go through that, that's fine. And so I wrote this, like, he was like, write something for me. So I wrote this paragraph saying, like, you know, and basically I used all the temp music that I had in my cut, which was like, Donnie Darko, Seven, Existence, Howard Shore's uh, score to Existence. What the hell else did I use? I used so many movies. But one of the movies I used was a movie, a very weird little movie called Pathology with Milo Ventimiglia. The dude from Gilmore Girls? Is it, was he in Gilmore Girls? I know him from, he's on Lost, right? He was on Lost, right? I've never seen Was he on Gilmore Girls 2? My boyfriend is nodding. Yes. He was on Gilmore Girls 2. But he's he's on This Is Us now. Yeah, he the, yeah. He was the dad that died from the blender or whatever, whatever happened. <laughs> um, he's he's fantastic. No, but the the like the movie itself is very problematic. Uh, fun, but problematic. The score I saw it at the ArcLight because like a friend of mine who's a critic was like, "You have to see it. It's a terrible movie, but it's wonderful, and you have to see it." So I'm like, "I'm sold. I'm going." The score blew me away, and I immediately bought the score. And it was this electronic score, and one of the two composers was Rob Williamson. So I put in the in the Craigslist ad, like Donnie Darko, Seven, Existence, uh, Pathology was one of them. I got an email back the next day. I'm the assistant for Rob Williamson who actually scored Pathology. Do you want to talk to him? I was like, well, fuck yes, I'll talk to him. Oh my God, I love the score. Whoa. So he basically was, and he was like, listen, I'm in between these two projects right now. This other one doesn't start for a bit. Let me see your cut and maybe we can do a deal. I'm like, dude, I have like almost no money. Like, you know, it's like, you know, but he saw it. He was like, this is, and he's straight. So I'm just like, oh my God, what is this straight guy? I'm going to think of this movie. <laughs> and he's like, this is a crazy movie. And like, I so want to do the score for this. And, and basically we worked, I was like, listen, I, if I can possibly swing it, I'll swing it. I talked to his agent. He quoted, like, basically we got the quote down to something manageable and he did the score and he was, it's, I still think it's such a great freaking score. It's like so creepy. It seems like yeah. you could put it on a movie that, you know, they spent four times as much on and it would oh, yeah. like, fit. It's really, it's really good. Yeah. It, it's yeah. none of the cat on a Casio or just no. Plinkin no. Or, or anything like that. Like it sounds like a real <laughs> score. It's not a Scott no, Joplin you... rag or yeah. anything like that. <laughs> Oh my God! Is that a Ben and Arthur reference? Because God bless you. It's That's a it's a uh, altitude falling. Yeah, sorry, they just Paul use Bright, the oh. same. <laughs> Did you see Ben and Arthur? By the way, I didn't. No. no. Oh. What's that? Oh. Okay. 
maybe I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> oh, okay. Well, oh, listen. I mean, it's going to be say. the next movie we watch now, regardless oh, of whether oh, you tell us oh, about it. You just, I don't know if I want to be responsible for this being the next movie you watch. I really don't. <laughs> Um, you, but, but as film nerds, you, you should seek it out. It's called Ben and Arthur. Okay. And God bless everyone who had anything to do with Ben and Arthur. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's all. I just, I, I have nothing but love for those guys. Fair uh, I don't know them, but I want to hear after you see it, I want you to contact me and tell me. Okay. Because. Done. <laughs> okay. I feel a karmic debt right now. I don't know. I don't know what department. Oh, okay. I wanted to ask the three leads. Like, I I feel that this movie could have gone astray if not for the strong performances. Yeah, Uh, I agree. Especially the gentleman who played Matt Stevens, like the beginning when it's just him talking into the camera and it's just the slow zoom. Like, scene one, I'm already getting sucked in from what I thought was going to be just a garbage movie. Like that's already telling me that that this is a quality film right off the bat, and I think having him as like the third act protagonist also works really well because I I thought he was just the strongest. Like I thought he should have gone on to be a great, well known actor after seeing this. Did you know any of these people before this movie, or did you cast them, or or how did you get them involved? I knew Matthew Montgomery who plays Michael Cassigan, the, the middle guy, uh, because I had edited a movie for a friend of mine named Sean. Sean ended up producing pornography. I'm so glad I we're talking this... about this. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. I'm uh, sorry. I know what you're going to say. I'm just we're, really excited. We're both familiar about, with about the other movie are, that you edited. But... <laughs> are you, are we, about Socket? I <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> love Socket. <laughs> you, oh my so- God, you need to talk to Sean because you would make his year, believe me. <laughs> like, you need to contact him. He'll absolutely talk. He's great. Uh, Sean is wonderful. That movie is so interesting because, I mean, talk about, I mean, that movie was made for a fraction of what pornography was made for. So, I mean, if you can imagine, I think they shot, they shot that in nine days, I think. Whoa. Like, really? Yeah. 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 And the editing, I, I'm like, here, here's the deal. When, when people ask me what like, I'm, most, they're, I'm most proud of, like what I've done creatively, Socket's always on there. And I can't say like, oh, it's a great film or anything. I mean, I think it's an entertaining film. And certainly for what it was, you know, what they were working, what Sean was working with, it's a great concept. It has some really good performances in it. But I'm so proud of my contribution to that film because we had no budget for special effects. And the movie, if you haven't seen it, but most people haven't, um, is that people get high off of electrical current and there was no way of visualizing this. And Sean and I were trying to figure out because Sean wanted to like maybe like find a CG animator to draw like purple electricity oh, or blue oh, electricity no. or something mm. like that. And and like there were I was just like Sean is just gonna look cheesy. And then I came up with the style of the crazy one to two frame cuts with the weird stuff happening. And yeah. it ended up being one of the my favorite things that I've ever done for a project because I feel like that alone in as much as anything else that I did for it, really, really, really made that a much better film. And I'm so proud of it. And, and I'm, so, I'm proud of Sean because he trusted me and, and, and went with it. And I don't think that was what he envisioned. But he was just like, that's really cool. And, and, and I had edited that movie just after I moved to L.A. I was still kind of just meeting people. 
and I edited on a laptop. So that was like, it was, <laughs> wow. a, it was a crazy oh. experience. Yeah. Final cut, like, you know, three Two. or four <laughs> or something. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it was, it was a while ago, but yeah. What were we talking about? I'm sorry. We're I'm talking sorry. About we're talking about, about the actors. We, we were just talking about the, the oh. lead actors and if you had known them previously or how did you find them? Because they just, they seem a cut above the, the average strand release or something like that. I got so lucky. I mean, I knew, who did I know? I know Razul, who played the realtor in part two and the therapist in part three, because uh, she was in Socket. I knew Matthew Montgomery because he was the co-lead in Socket. Steve Callahan who plays the head of the porn company in part three and the guy at the urinal in part two. I knew him from other filmmakers. He was in a bunch of other stuff. And you know that Matt and he uh, met on my set and got married. No. I had two marriages because of my movie. One was Matt Montgomery and Steve Callahan, whose first scene was at that urinal where Matthew like rejects him from cruising and Matt, the joke between them is like, it's the most unrealistic depiction ever <laughs> like or whatever, which I think is hilarious. So, you know, when they got married, I actually made them a video of that scene. And all I did was put it behind Barbara Streisand's evergreen. And I did these, <laughs> like these, like they, they get to the urinal and evergreen starts playing. And I just zoomed into their faces. And then at the end, abruptly Matt, like flushes the urinal and walks away. And I was like, happy wedding or whatever the hell. It was, it was they're wonderful, wonderful guys. Um, and then the other one was um, Bob Koenig, who basically was the, the second AD for most of it. And you can see him briefly in the table read scene. He married Jeremy Owen, who plays the evil dude with the mask. Oh. And they're, and they're still happily married. So Wow. It, if nothing else, my movie worked as a fantastic dating app. <laughs> That's cute. That's fantastic. I love it. Oh. <laughs> it's like you hear all the horror stories about independent filmmaking. You don't hear any of the because we, we got along. I mean, it was really like, and I know like other people say this. We really, it was a really good set. I mean, it, people really liked each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know how the first AD felt about me by the end because I was like, you know, we shot the whole thing in 16 days and I think he was ready to kill me. But it's like largely like uh, everybody, it was just so wonderful. And everybody, even people like, because you would read the script and even the script supervisor who was experienced, an experienced script supervisor was like, like halfway through or two thirds of the way through, she was like, okay, I think I'm beginning to get this. I'm like, fantastic. I'm so glad. <laughs> You are. You're the script supervisor. God knows. I hope you get it because, like, you know, you're like marking up the the script. But it was it was really it was just a magical magical time. And like I and for the actors, I just got so unbelievably lucky. I mean, we saw a bunch of people. We did kind of open auditions. We didn't have a casting director. We didn't have the money, so we went to Film Independent out here in L.A., which is a great organization. Rented one of the rooms and kind of put something out. I think it was on backstage or. Oh no! It was, ba- it was post backstage. That's film school. It was like some the 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 digital thing, like the LA casting or whatever, whatever it was. I don't remember. There were two of them, and um, saw a bunch of people, and uh, yeah, ended up with just a like and a big cast for an independent movie too. Like like a surprisingly yeah. like a lot of speaking roles. Somebody asked me to break it down at one point. I think I had to for the dialogue, and I was like, I forget how many speaking roles, but I think there are over twenty. Um, which for an independent film is just kind of like, you know, 
all the independent, I, I, like for all the, like I broke all the independent film rules that you're supposed to do. Like you're supposed to keep it in like one ish location or maybe a couple that are like, I'm, there are like so many locations in this movie. It's crazy. And keeping the character list down, like, you know, and, and, and making a movie that's 113 minutes and, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, I, I, I'm very, very lucky. I got away with like a lot of the ambitious stuff that I wanted to, not all of them, but a good, I think majority. I mean, it works, you know, when uh, Matt Stevens, you know, reappears at the beginning of act three, you get Mm -hmm. this like sense of history and memory. You're like, Oh, this is the dude from the beginning. Like I had just forgotten about him. Mm -hmm. And so when he reappears, you're, you're like, Oh, this is like, tying itself all back up and when i first watched it and he like throws the script in the back of the convertible i thought that it was going to be like the end and like credits were going to roll and i was like ready to just like flip my table over and i was like this movie was so good (laughs) and then they just make it all a dream uh but then it keeps going and like you have this fully fleshed out like third act mystery and like god no he just he doubles down on it like he doesn't relent like it everything paid off and it's like you know uh, it uh, it's in the segment where like Matt Stevens like becomes Mark Anton and then you see that mm-hmm. manager dude from the first act too and you get that same feeling like it, yeah. all that stuff just really paid off it's like you got a lot of characters but like i remember them all like by mm-hmm. when they start reappearing like i have a sense of like the significance of these people like it all just really paid off oh i'm so glad you said that because one of the one of the i mean this is very much the movie I wanted to see like really, really, really like a movie that like you had to work for. I mean, I think that the divide in, in, in how people took this film was whether or not you viewed movies as something you participated in or something that just takes you out of your life. Hmm. Like I don't mind escape movies, escapist movies. Some of my favorite movies are escapist movies um, that you just turn off your brain and watch and you just enjoy and it's wonderful. But my real favorite kinds of movies are the ones that you're thinking about and involved in and engaged in while you're watching it. And the ones that take your expectations and upend them and subvert them. And so you have to keep thinking and and rethinking and the ones that hang with you afterwards. And this, is, this was trying to be that. I wanted that. Um, and I think one of my frustrations with some of the ways that it was taken. Uh, and again, not all because I got a lot of really good reviews, but I got a lot of really terrible reviews too. And, you know, most of them, honestly, like, I mean, we're just like, I didn't get it. So it's stupid. I don't understand it. So dumb, <laughs> you know, I would read it. And it was, it's not, I'm, that's not really hyperbole. That was just like, like some idiot 23 year old, like for some, like, gay rag somewhere who like, you know, <laughs> like watched it on his laptop and just said, like, I don't get it. It's stupid. There's a, you know, it's like, I, you can't argue with that. It's like, I didn't make it for you. You dumbass. <laughs> you know, I yeah, made it for smart people. I made this movie for Aww. smart people who wanted to like be engaged in a movie and like think about it and kind of put it together like in their heads because you say it paid off. Like it's not supposed to entirely pay off. It pays off in everything that it's supposed to pay off for. But I did not want to explain absolutely everything. I did not want to say this part's a dream and this part's not. And this person is really this person. And this is really what happened. I mean, in my mind, I have a theory about what this movie really is. Like, like what the actual, like, objective storyline, what really happened. 
I don't know if that's important in the sense, like, for, for anybody to know, because this is a movie about emotions. It's supposed to be an emotional arc, and it's supposed to kind of take place in the mind of someone who's unreliable. Like, it's an unreliable narrator that's kind of showing the story to you. And, and no, that that's great, because it's like, I don't want Roman Polanski to, like, direct a epilogue or whatever to Chinatown explaining what Chinatown is. Like, I just <laughs> want the movie to end, you know? And the idea that, like, you know, you get to, like, an emotional climax, but not necessarily, like, a literal climax helps, like, the sense of mystery keep going after the movie's over. So, like, the movie yeah. sticks with you even once it stops. Yeah. Thank you. I'm glad you felt that way, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a very personal movie to me, and I put my heart and soul into it, and it, like, took two years of my life, and it's... And it's funny because people do discover it and come out. I mean, like somebody actually wrote a um, a thesis on it, like a oh, grad wow. school thesis on oh. this film. And I was like, wow, okay. And I read it. It wasn't bad. I'm like, oh, okay. You got, but it's <laughs> like, I'd be lying if I said, I wish it had been programmed at Sundance. I wish it had like gotten the kind of attention that like, you know, an eraser head or like one of those other weird movies, like even beyond the black rainbow, like, mm-hmm. like I wish it had gotten like that kind of an attention. And I've been told by a lot of people, like, you know, it just was at the wrong time. Like, if this had come out now or if this had come out, like, five years before. Because it came out literally right when the economy completely imploded. Oh, um, yeah. And, and DVD sales kind of fell off a roof. And this was before VOD and bef- before, like, there were ways to monetize it that way. So it kind of, like, this and, and it was one of the biggest gay movies of its, like, year or two years but it still kind of fell into this pit where, like, like no movies from, like, about 2009 to, like, 2011, like, survived that thing. <laughs> like, we all kind of took a bath. I mean, the movie still hasn't broken even, even for under $200,000. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's like, it's like, and it's still, like, one of the biggest gay hits of the year. So it's kind of like, okay, what do you do with that? You can't make a living like that. Yeah. And a lot of gay filmmakers I know who are, are very talented, have great projects, just simply couldn't get anything done. And for a while, I couldn't even get anything done. I mean, you know, it's like, uh, and, it's, and it's a bummer. But, you know, as my therapist says, you know, the universe isn't out to get me. So it's like, I'm still, <laughs> still trying. And, uh, and, I, and I still am hoping that, like, people like you, like, who kind of appreciate movies that make you want to work a little bit and make you want to think and involve you and kind of try to haunt you, like, are out there more than the people who all they want to see is like the eating out movies. And I love the eating out movies. So don't get me wrong, but it's like, there are other movies. There are other gay movies. There are like other things. And, and you know, that was a big reason I made pornography. I was like, I like part of me was like, I want to like blow the minds of every goddamn person who bought a ticket to Oy Vey, my son is gay, <laughs> you know? And a lot of people were mad at me. Like, there were a lot of mad people at those Q&As. There was a lot of, like, largely it was an older, younger thing. Like, everybody over a certain age, I don't even know what the age would be, but, like, let's say 50, like, hated me. Like, hated me, hated the fact that there were no, like, there was no sex in it, like, that they found arousing. They were vicious. They really hated me. And then, like, younger guys thought it was really cool, generally speaking. Like, there were lots of exceptions and stuff, but it was, that's kind of what I found. I'm so, I'm sorry. Did I mo- was I monologuing? No, no. no. Like, <laughs> we were we were talking about this a little bit. Uh, how that like this isn't a traditional story, and that there's like 
there's not a coming out story. There's no like struggling with HIV. There's nothing yeah. like those things that are such tropes of gay movies that we've seen thousands of times already. Yeah. And it's so nice to see something that's just stylized and uh, meaty in the way that this one is. Yeah, because like we're always oh, looking for for gay movies where like someone's sexuality is like a big part of their life, but not necessarily like they're struggling to like come out to someone or or something like that. Like you know, coming out oh, yeah. stories, HIV stories, like they've just been done to death. And it's not that they're bad or that you can't do them well, but I just want to see you know gay people doing stuff that is yeah. tethered to their sexuality, but doing other things, you know? Yeah, no, we, we, I mean, we have other stories to tell. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I think that, I mean, I, but I think that was a, a function of kind of where gay indie cinema came from. Like, I think for a while there were, it was just nothing but coming out movies and nothing but HIV movies, because I think that's what kind of, you know, that's where the culture, that's where we were yeah. in this art form. And I think that, you know, what I wanted to do, and certainly I think it's doing you know, much more now, is like make a movie where it's a very gay movie, but being gay is never anything except a given. Mm-hmm. It's never dealt with. It's never an issue. It's not dramatic. Everybody's just gay, and that's the deal. Yeah. And nobody, it's it's not even a part of the plot. Yeah. Um, it just is. Yeah. Um, and that was, I mean in a kind of a weird, subtle way, a big political <laughs> statement that I was making that like, nobody's going to be like, I have to tell my mom or, like, you know, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm afraid of holding hands in public. I mean, you know, whatever, whatever that would be. There's I mean, plenty I of those this, movies. <laughs> I, I know. And some of them are great. I mean, like, you know, one of the first gay movies that really knocked my socks off was Edge of Seventeen. And like, mm. what was oh, that, 98? Yeah. yeah. Um, David Morton's movie. Uh, we just Todd, uh, did uh, Testosterone, Hastings. so... Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, the episode exactly. before this one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Oh, that's fantastic. But, I did not love it. Yeah, I didn't but. care for that one either. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, because it's like, you know, you and I both, like, call me by your name and things like that. Like, there are good movies, like, dealing with, like, coming of age. But I don't know. Yeah. I kind of wish that there was just, like, a gay Brian De Palma because, like, I also want to see like a mystery, like a thriller mystery Mm -hmm. that just happens to have a bunch of sexy people that I'm sexually attracted to in it as well. Like you talking about Brian De Palma, like, and especially like body double, like now I'm just getting all these flashes of, you know, if there was a movie where like some twink was in the place of Melanie Griffith, like dancing in front of uh, his window, I would be like, yeah, sign me up. I'll take two tickets. (laughs) Um, I would I mean, basically, it comes down to because I mean, I would like nothing more than to just do those movies forever. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm being completely honest. It's like I have two scripts right now that I would love to get financing for, and I think we might actually like one of them. I I have not sent this out for financing yet uh, because I've just been tweaking it forever. But it's a thriller. It's much more narrative than pornography is. But everybody happens to be gay, and it's a gay movie, but there's no gay angst in it. It's like everyone's just gay. We'll see if I can get money for it. Because that's all making movies comes down to. It's like, we can talk about the art all you want, and, and I adore the art, and I am a passionate cinema lover. But as a filmmaker, it, it, this is the most expensive medium in the history of any kind of art. I mean, yeah. and and... There's no way to do it unless you have somebody or a bunch of people helping financially. And up until recently, it's been almost impossible to monetize 
a movie like this, like post DVD boom, like in the mm-hmm. DVD boom, you could do it. You could get almost any independent movie made and make its money back if it was done under a certain budget amount because people are just buying DVDs. Now you largely monetize through streaming deals or VOD, generally VOD, because you don't get a lot from the streaming deals, uh, especially for independent movies. I mean, Pornography, a Thriller was on Netflix for 15 months for a while. I'm sure a lot of people saw it that way, but they don't get these little gay movies anymore. You're talking about a movies that like cost like at least probably like a million bucks to make. And so you have to figure out a way without a theatrical release, without people buying DVDs, how do you make that money back? And it's getting there with some movies. If you do it for less than a million, like horror movies, you can make money on um, specific genre movies you can make money on. But it's still real hard. Like the like a sell for like, OK, I have this thriller about a gay, you know, killer or a gay like Brian De Palma movie. It's like. You know, without a star or without some kind of uh, something, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like it's very hard to monetize. Well, the gay culture is really like homogen. There's like a homogenization of it. And so like when you start doing niche things on it, it's much harder to find that audience, you know. Well, that and the, the, the problem is also that younger gay guys don't buy physical media and don't generally pay for movies. I mean, sometimes they buy on VOD, but generally they'll just watch something on Netflix. And they don't ever go out to the movie theater to see independent movies. That's a big problem. They don't go to film festivals, which is the way that a lot of gay movies have made some money, at least, because we get a little bit of a screening fee, although that's really kind of few and far between. I mean, I got into a tiff with um, uh, this gay journalist who was on Twitter uh, a few months ago, who was bemoaning the fact that like, I think this was around when Love Simon came out. Was that last year? Um, that only like you know why do all these why do gay movies that have to do with like whatever like you know just like poppy stupid shit get released? Like I want to see movies that are this or that. And I'm just kind of like you can go see them at like any major gay festival if you're in a city. Like, Seattle has a fantastic one. Um, you know, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Like, all the major cities. Miami, Philadelphia. I, I think Philadelphia still has one. New York, um, D.C., uh, Chicago. Fantastic gay film festivals programming great stuff. But you have to get off your goddamn millennial ass and go buy a ticket to go see them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's like you can't bitch about there not being gay movies and then do absolutely fucking nothing to support them. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, I, and, and then he blocked me and I think he's like, you know, an editor for out magazine now or something like that. I don't know. I, I, I actually don't know, but it's like, you know, but it's like, you know, it's frustrating because like, I'm like, I've spent most of my career being a gay filmmaker and it's just like, I would like nothing better to make like tons of like gay Brian De Palma movies. Yeah. It's like, how do we get the money and how do we make it back? And it's like, we got to get people to, or find ways to monetize this and get people to buy a ticket to a movie or buy it in some physical form. Or if that's not the case, then at least buy it on VOD. And aside from that, you know, it's like, I don't know how films get made other than like ginormous Marvel movies. Yeah. I got my ticket to Avengers. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's, and again, nothing against them. It's just one kind of movie. It's like, I don't want to eat nothing but hamburgers for the rest of my life. I'd like, you know, a steak every once in a while. You know, I think that it's important, like, especially for gay men, especially for us, uh, you know, to 
go support an independent gay film, like in the theater mm-hmm. or like in VOD or at a festival or yeah. go support the festival or go volunteer for the festival. Maybe you'll yeah. meet somebody. <laughs> Put your grinder down and get to a festival. You see, I sound old now. <laughs> I never wanted to. Well, David, it's been great talking to you. Can we have you back sometime? Oh, God, yes. You guys are the best. This was a lot of fun. And I so appreciate it. Like, because, you know, I made this movie like 10 years ago. And every once in a while, somebody comes up and is like, this movie meant a lot to me. And and you don't, because you're a filmmaker, you don't get that kind of response very much. Well, if you hadn't psychically followed us on Twitter, this, you know, this yeah. might have not happened. So. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that happened. But that's really, I'm very, very, very glad the universe did that. It'll make up for the fact that the world economy collapsed and I sold about <laughs> half as many DVDs as I should have. Um, but you know, it's like, it was fantastic and I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, we loved the movie and we loved having you on. So thank you. Is there anything that you're working on now that we should keep our, our eyes and ears out for? Actually I am. I'm working on a documentary on a movie that was made in 1977 called Exorcist to the Heretic. Oh yeah. It was directed by John Borman and is one of the most infamous studio releases ever. And John Borman is a fantastic, like one of the greatest filmmakers ever. And it's like, the question is like, how did this amazing bunch of people make this movie that was so rejected? And it's such a bizarre, interesting, crazy movie. And the story behind it is fantastic. So I've been shooting this. I shot Borman. I shot a lot of people uh, in the production and we're putting it together now. It's an amazing story. And I can't, I, I only hope I'm good enough to actually make this documentary as good as I feel like it should be. But it's like, it's, I cannot wait for it to be, it's, it's, it's probably more than a year like out but it's like I'm still working on it, and I'm really, really excited about it. I mean, that sounds super fascinating because, yeah, Exorcist 2 is bizarre. You got Richard Burton. You got Linda Blair. James Earl Jones is in it, yep. if I remember correctly. And yep. Louise a- Fletcher, Max von Sydow, uh, Kitty Wynn, Paul Henri, Ned Beatty. And a yeah. bunch of locusts. <laughs> and, <laughs> a lot of locusts. I mean, it's not unlike other John Borman movies necessarily. It's like Zardoz. It's much more like Zardoz than it it is is like Deliverance. Yeah. But whew, it is, it's something else. So, but no, a documentary on it would be super fascinating because clearly a lot of stuff went into that movie and what came out probably just wasn't necessarily what anyone was envisioning the movie to be. It's very, very, very committed to its own vision. And its own vision is very, very, very crazy and wonderful. But it's not a horror movie, which is part of the reason why audiences wanted Borman's head. Because mm. Exorcist is one of the scariest movies ever. I mean, it's a terrifying, beautifully made, impeccable, classic, amazing film. Mm-hmm. The sequel is not a scary movie at all. It's not really a horror movie. Mm-mm. And it has stuff like... You know, James Earl Jones in a locust outfit and Linda Blair tap dancing without a bra and lots of locusts. And it's just like, what the hell is this? It's like, I can't even imagine what it must have been like to be in the movie. There were riots. People threw stuff at the screens. Warner Brothers panicked. It was, it's one of the biggest fiascos in Hollywood history. But the point of the documentary is it didn't kill them. It's like he swung for the fences Because it's an ambitious movie. It's not a dumb movie. It's like a super ambitious movie and it completely missed. And yet he came back with Excalibur. It's like, we don't see enough about artists trying and failing. You see stuff about successes. You see stuff about like, you know, artists being amazing, whatever. But you don't see like, and most of the artists I know, what is their primary fear? They're afraid of failing. They're afraid of like 
like getting reviews that I got for pornography from some places and, you know, and stuff like that and, and feeling humiliated. And, and I think that the, the point of my doc is do it anyway. Which I guess dovetails back into pornography a thriller, which I'm very, I can bring it all full circle. So, you know, for whatever it's worth, I mean, you know, for the people that loved it and didn't love it, you know, I'm so appreciative of the people that love this film and, and I'm very grateful that I did it. Yeah, I feel like we met a kindred spirit today. Yeah, no, he was a lot of fun. You could tell that he was just a big old movie nerd. And it's like he made this movie for us. Yeah, it's remarkable that he just Skyped (laughs) randomly. That was fantastic. I want to have him back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I want to see more of his work. Yeah, uh, like, no. More movies by him, please. Yes, yes, please. Hey, if if you're out there and you have money to throw at a filmmaker, I got a name for you. It's David Kittredge. Buy the DVD. It'll trickle a dollar or two back to him <laughs> well ryan should uh should we find out what we're watching next week i feel because you made the transgression of bringing quality movie into our craptacular gay movie season you need to be punished <laughs> so while you're busy you know you were busy watching your your fabulous pornography of thrillers uh, as I'm down in this deep mountain searching for anything. I, I've been in the bowels of this mountain too. I watched a movie called Dead Boys Don't Scream and boys was spelled with a Z yesterday. So don't get on my case that I'm not pulling my weight on this. All right. Well, here's one that you might have missed that I suffered through and I need to talk to somebody about it. So you're going to have to, you're going to do. <laughs> Okay. okay. All right, lay on me. I'm going to make you watch a movie called A Siren in the Dark. Is this a Lifetime movie? <laughs> it's much, much worse. Uh, it's mercifully only about an hour and 15 minutes. It's going to feel like three times that for you. Oh, no. Uh, real low budge. This is on par with uh, uh, Altitude Falling. Oh, God. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Oh, are we already getting to that level of quality? I'm punishing you. <laughs> Okay, let's, all right, let's buckle up. Let's do this. We finished the chicken picking. Let's get out of here. Follow us on Twitter at xratedmovies. Mm-hmm. Uh, send us an email, x.rated.movies at gmail.com. Facebook at ratedxmovies. And uh, give us some stars and some reviews on the old Apple podcast. Still looking for a few more Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart, Stewart Blumpkin reviews. We'd, we'd love those. Go to our website, xratedmovies.com. It's got literally everything. Stuff that's not on iTunes, stuff that's not on Stitcher, stuff that's not on wherever you get your podcast. Maybe they're on Spotify. I don't know. Uh, but regardless, everything you want by us is there. And that's it. We'll see you next week for, for a, a Siren, Siren in the, in the dark. dark. Until then, keep, keep reaching, reaching for, for that, that rainbow. rainbow.